Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. Spooky Halloween edition. This podcast is usually a conversation between two comic creators that I've paired up to interview each other, but for the month of October, we're going to do a series of spotlight interviews with creators of horror comics that I've enjoyed. This episode features indie comics writer and old friend of the podcast, Matt McGrath. Matt has just launched a Kickstarter for an anthology of short horror comics written by him and drawn by a stable of talented artists, including Brendan Tobin and Otavio Colino, called Everyday Fear. Hello, and welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. I am Jordan Patrick Finn. I'm a comic writer and comics editor from around the Toronto-ish area of Canada. I am also, more importantly, the host of the Creators on Comics podcast, who usually doesn't speak on the show. Usually I pair up two people and have them talk to each other for a bit. But because I'm doing a very special Halloween event, I'm doing interviews with people whose horror comics I really enjoy. And I'm here talking today with Matt McGrath. A comic writer from Toronto, Canada, kind of nearby-ish for me. I have delivered books to his doorsteps that <laughs> that he has bought from me, and uh, I feel like the opposite is true as well. Matt's work has been published in Called Into Being, a celebration of Frankenstein and Gothic tales of haunted futures from Renegade Arts Entertainment. With some help from Kickstarter, Matt has also self-published two issues of his sci-fi horror comic ID10T Error. And I am here with Matt today to discuss his brand new horror anthology, Everyday Fear. Matt, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This is your second time on the show, so I think it's evident that that I like you on the show, and I'm glad to have you here. So really, honestly, thanks. thank you for, for coming back and being part of the show. No, thank you. I was so stoked when you asked me to come on. I never, that's, that's never the way it is. It's always me going to people and begging. That is, that is often how the way it is for me, too. A lot of people saying, hey, hey, wave my hand, please. Please, that was me. I'm very flattered to to be asked to come on. So thank you. Little behind the scenes for the listeners. I have so much trouble keeping up with podcasting on top of, you know, normal, actual life and uh, work and baby stuff. Um, Yeah. So uh, I, I hate having to say no to people. And I feel very happy when I get to say yes or actually reach out first and say hey i want to i want to help with your stuff let's yeah. talk about your work and try to get some people to listen so the first question that i wanted to ask you today is how and why did you start making comics what drew you to um, to this medium specifically why comics why not write something else what are you doing here hmm good question good question i think i just tried a whole bunch of other artistic endeavors and failed at them and comic was the one I had a tiny bit of success with so I just kind of stuck with that one so yeah in, in my past life I did a lot of acting and yeah I kind of I kind of posted about this the other another day on Twitter um, I kind of had like a mini little serious go at acting like at one point I had an agent and I was booking like auditions for commercials that you'd see like on TV or in in front of a movie or something like that and I had like a little bit of success but just kind of didn't really keep up with it yeah I don't know didn't pay the bills and it's just a pain in the ass let me interrupt you right there because I want to ask you about that actually yeah I I didn't know that you were you know had an agent or were a working actor I I think I've seen actor in your Twitter bio which yes I guess is now called an X X bio but yeah if you've done real screen stuff like uh, what have I probably seen you in 
<laughs> uh, you probably haven't seen me in anything. Um, yeah, I, I auditioned for things. Oh, I, I sorry, sorry. I didn't get them. My mistake. But My like mistake. the the two kind of big things I did do is you know like those talking head reenactment like murder true crime kind of. Oh shows? yeah, like yeah. One of those. Like, were you I, a murderer or a victim? No, I was a suspect. Oh, okay. I was the boyfriend of the woman who was murdered. So I had like two scenes in that thing. Like I was like cop or something from the 1970s. And yeah. I really only got the role because I looked exactly like the, the actual dude. Yeah. So like, yeah, I just, then they just hired me kind of based off of that. Did you so think I it would that, be a, a big saw. break or something after that? No, big break. Well, you know, the, the kind of coolest thing I've done was the Ontario Lung Association. They were doing like this kind of marketing campaign for breathing. And they were doing this thing called Breathers United. So I did this PSA like maybe 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago now. Yeah. Or maybe not, maybe like 10. I don't know. Time is relative. But uh, yeah. Um, so I did that. And I, my, the person who I acted in it with was Simi Lu before he kind of did the Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, that one. Yeah. But the other one. <laughs> I got you. A little, little help yeah. on that one. Yeah. yeah. But what did he do? Like a, not corner gas, uh, 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 convenience. convenience. Before he did that, so oh, like, okay, that yeah, did that with him and like uh, before, like he kind of really booked any kind of even commercials yet. So yeah, that's kind of like a cool bragging thing that I kind of oh yeah, it, it's fun seeing like, like all these about. big big actors from our area. You find out, yeah, oh Aladdin's from like up the road. Okay, <laughs> like that kind of thing. You find out all the time. Oh, that guy's Toronto. Okay, that guy too. All right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but. Um, Ignore me cutting you off and talking about acting. Let's go back to your journey into comics. So acting, right. you know, wasn't paying the bills, wasn't working. What, yeah. How did you start? Um, what was the first stuff you started doing in comics? That kind of ties back well into this anthology because a lot of this anthology is composed of my earliest works in comics. So uh, Everyday Fears is an anthology of four of my previously published kind of horror comics that I've done over the years. So yeah, well, I guess to go back a little bit, like I kind of started off writing comics in college um, and university and just didn't really stick with it. Like I was writing it and in the process of writing it, I realized like I was bored of what I was writing. So like I'm bored writing it. I can't really expect anybody to be excited to read it. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Petered off. And um, yeah, I don't know what really kind of clicked with me to start writing again there was um there was an anthology called strange romance that was you know asking for for pitches so i pitched to that when my friends was the editor in that and they they liked the idea and they accepted it so i kind of went off and wrote my first six page script now based on yeah. the title of that anthology i'm going to go ahead and assume that's the first comic in in your everyday fears anthology that would be always so. practice yeah. safe hex that's it yes or Which, well, yeah. you might you might rearrange the order from the order that I read them in. I, I say the I say the first in your anthology, but I don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that'll be the first one in the anthology, I think. Yeah, but the first one you read, yeah, pa- practice safe sex, sex, no hex, hex. hex. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the joke. <laughs> you can't say sex on the show, or then we're gonna get oh. flagged. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead and use whatever language oh. you you uh, are inclined to so let's um let's cut you off from your comics journey there and let's actually start talking about always practice safe hex so i guess they liked your pitch 
How did yep. you get hooked up with the artist on that, Brendan Tobin? Was he part of the pitch? Was he already on board when you when you brought it to, no. to the anthology that you pitched to, or did they that's pair you they up, or or what happened there? Yeah, exactly. They paired us up. Like that's what made that anthology so good for like first time creators is you kind of got paired up with your artist. So yeah, it's a little more training wheels. Like you don't have to kind of go out and search for a person and kind of pitch them on your story to get them to to join you on this anthology so yeah and that way it was there was a lot of i don't know a lot of support from from the editors there pairing me with brandon and i don't know i he when i first saw his art on on my script it kind of it absolutely blowed me away to see oh yeah like my the first yeah, the first comic like, you made you said right totally yeah oh the, right. that like, feeling you get pages from your artists you're probably like mind it's just so cool to see absolutely 100 percent. yeah yeah your words brought to life and Brandon is such an amazing artist. So to have that be my first experience was extra special because he just absolutely killed it. And everything that I wrote down, like he perfectly realized it on the page. And um, yeah, I guess that that's what really hooked me. That kind of, that high. That feeling of seeing your work. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, I'm shocked to hear that's the first comic that you wrote. I actually think that's probably one of the strongest ones in here. Like I, I thought that one was fantastic maybe i'm a little bit biased i'm a sucker for a really quick pacing anyone who's yeah. read any of my work probably knows that <laughs> like I, I like my comics to move um and i feel like that one always practice safe hex covers a ton of ground in only six pages I, I say that people might be scared that it feels rushed or something it doesn't it's a very simple premise it's uh it's paced well it just feels like after you're done you're like that that fit in six pages like that was that was substantial. Uh, that was like a meal, not not just a little snack. Totally, yeah. And I think that's like to also to Brendan's credit, like the way he kind of fit all my words. You know, we writers, we love our words, and we maybe do. sometimes we overdo it with them. But he he really found a way to get it all in there. <clears throat> yeah, because um, Brendan like lettered that on on top of doing the art as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about in in Always Practice Safe X and that short story was the incantations. And I guess to give, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and give a little pitch of what that specific short is about to the listeners? Sure. It is about a couple who, you know, they're having a steamy date. One thing leads to another. It's time to get down to it. And uh, they find out that they don't have any condoms. So this is in a, a fantasy world. So the, the girl's like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity to practice my, my spell casting that I've been learning kind of at nights at my local witch and wizardry community college so she tries to hack a protection spell to replace a prophylactic and hilarity ensues from there and yeah you talked about like the brevity and how you thought it was strong and yeah i I totally i I think it's even one of my best things i've written is my first one it's probably one of my favorite too even though i've written like you know 36 page comics but oh yeah it's a very simple it was great it was great but please continue Yeah. yeah it's it's a super simple structure where it's just like Page one, kind of set up. Page two, three, four, it's just, you know, each page is gag one, gag two, gag three, and then the last page is the kind of punchline to it. So, yeah, you know, her trying to come up with this protection spell to put a condom on this dude leads to uh, all kinds of messy situations. And hilarity ensues from there. Yes. Um, So about her trying to do that, she's obviously, you said witchcraft wizard, she's trying to cast these spells, and she's doing so with incantations. 
which yes. I, I'm kind of a sucker for. I always love how people do incantations in fiction, in comics, in TV, what, whatever it might be. I kind of love it. So talk about how you came up with yours. Um, I went to Google and I typed in English to uh, Latin. Latin, yes. Yeah. But <laughs> yes, it, it's definitely a Latin translation. How did you come up with the original English um... that you chose to translate? I don't even remember. I think I just kept it really simple, like um, turn him into a capybara. And <laughs> that was it. Like, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. Uh, a very, very simple technique, but it's effective. It, it sounds good. Like, it even works. like the simplest of English, and you put it in and make it Latin, it sounds kind of magical. Just it does. There, there's such a tone to that language. Yeah. yeah. But with the, those incantations, there's one time that you sort of break the mold on that. On page three, instead of a Latin translation, the spell that she's casting is done with like symbols as her lettering. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about yeah. the symbols? Were those were those in the script? Was that something you came up with? Was that all Brendan, like all the way? So old Brendan. Old Brendan. Yeah. Uh yeah. Old Brendan. Probably, you know, baby writer Matthew just put a little too much work on the artist this one instance so I think in the script I just said she says something just throw in some kind of creepy symbols in there and that's all I said kudos to Brendan because those symbols like are great (laughs) they're so cool I want to see I want to see more of those I would love to I don't know, see if Brendan has used those in, in other works that, that other writers have maybe uh, asked him to do that kind of thing on. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he, I don't think he, I, I'm kind of lucky because I don't think he works with a lot of writers, to be honest. Like he, he mostly is a cartoonist and writes and draws his own stuff. Um, yeah, his his work in, in your book that I've read is very, very cartoonist vibe. It feels very much yeah. like, a, like cartoonist strips. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like, he, I don't think he's on Twitter anymore, but when he used to, he during March, he did like this March Modoc madness. And like every day he drew a different Modoc. <laughs> really, yeah. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. That yeah, sounds good. Great. Maybe I should track that down. I might I might look at that. I might link it in the I show think notes. He's still maybe. On Instagram. maybe maybe after this, I'll send his Instagram handle and you can post it in the show notes. But uh, yeah. yeah, check this stuff out. It's, I love that. Really Mod- Modoc is uh, ridiculous. Uh, I love to see. As, as ridiculous as depictions can get with him, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, well, I have one more question to ask about Always Practice Safe Hex, and that is about your script for page six, panel three, like the final panel, the big punchline mm-hmm. at the end, you know, this this world-ending apocalyptic event. I want to know how much of that was in the script versus how much of that, again, was Brendan, because there's a lot of stuff happening on that page, mm-hmm. a lot of really interesting visual motifs. Talk about how much of that was you. Uh, zero. <laughs> so what was yeah. what was the script what did it look like for that panel panel three just, the world ends just, like uh, what yeah, was it just to say, i'm not usually like this i'm much more considerate to my writers that as i've grown as a creator and you know i don't just kind of leave them hanging and be like well, i'll make this up but um you know i provide lots of reference photos and descriptions but for this yeah it was just like page three outside the world's ending i don't know go nuts and have fun is what I said. Go nuts and have fun. That's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, right. I've seen that in a lot of scripts that I've edited. Yeah. Is there anything more you, you wanted to say before we move on from Always Practice Safe Hex? No, I think I think that about covers it. Yeah. Just Brendan did most of the stuff that you like about it. That, oh, that's sorry. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of my favorite stories too. Yeah. It's great. And it, and it hits a tone 
a very, very specific tone that sort of encompasses the entire book and encompasses the name. Sure. And I'm going to circle back to that later. Uh, okay. And we're going to start asking overall questions in a little bit. But for right now, I want to ask you about story two, or at least story two in the PDF I have. Storage Crusades by you with art by Otavio Colino, colors by Corey Ranson, and letters by Lyndon Radchenka, a friend of the show yeah. who's been on yep. comics <laughs> creators on comics multiple times i think at this point Lyndon's a great guy tell me about storage crusades and maybe this might if you wanted to link it back into the first question the journey into comics you did your first anthology is there what was the forward trajectory for you after your first anthology sure um so i guess storage crusades is skipping ahead a little bit i oh, this was... let's, let's stick with storage crusades then and then we'll we'll come back to the <laughs> what comes next in your in your baby writer okay. career later okay cool yeah well we'll kind of flip-flop in time a little bit but uh yeah storage crusades fast forward a little bit a couple of years i did this with otavio for the um the platform 10k contest oh yeah i'm not sure if this the show is actually a platform comics podcast oh awesome yeah. well there you go ties right in yeah i should talk up platform comics though actually the 10k challenges one of them's called the 10K Challenge. One of them's called, uh, do you remember the name? The Short uh, yeah, the Challenge. Sh mm -hmm. The other one is just, um, it's just like a, a contest. or um, just Yeah, it's just you can enter like your pre-made stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, the, the 10K I think is more interesting, but I think they're both really creative ideas. And I think Platform does a lot to sort of harbor the independent comics community. Um, totally. And, yeah. You know, bring everybody together, have these little fun competitions, and uh, and they come out with cool work like Storage Crusades. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, just talking about the community part of it, I, it was a couple of years ago. It was, I think it was 2020, like right, right in the middle of the pandemic that summer. And it was a lot of fun. Like people were kind of talking up on Twitter, like posting about forming their teams and then kind of psyching each other up, posting their works in progress as it was going on. And then after it, kind of like sharing it with everybody. So it was kind of, it was, it did really foster like a really nice community at that time, especially uh, when we all needed that connection. Absolutely. Summer 2020. Yeah, we, we yeah. all needed we all needed a little social interaction. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, so that was that's what that was. See, I have a really bad memory, so I don't remember I think I had finished ID ten T Air issue one with Atavio at that point. So this was like or if I hadn't finished where we were almost done, we might be having like a little pause or something before we finish the last few pages. So yeah, we just kind of teamed up and did that because we thought oh, it'd be fun fun thing to do for a few days and um yeah it was definitely a challenge as the name suggests it is um, indeed a challenge to, yeah. <laughs> to finish that can you reverse in time a little bit and talk about how you met up with otavio how how you two decided to become a team sure with that i think i just finished the script for id 10 t error and i liked it and i was like okay this is going to be my first full-length comic actual comic book um not just like a short story an anthology um so it's just kind of I, I went on a reddit a reddit thing with a, like a comic art community and it was just kind of like browsing through everybody's stuff and yeah i came across his work and with his stuff what really grabbed me was he could do like these very kind of not photorealistic per se but like kind of you know normal characters i guess and then in one panel and then next panel like that same guy would have like big bug eyes and mm -hmm. popping out of his out of his head and i just yeah. thought that kind of aesthetic was really cool and would kind of fit with this kind of horror tale but also you know really kind of silly 
stupid story. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's what drew me to him. And yeah, we got working on, on that. And then eventually we did this short story together. It was a lot of fun. Like there was a cool collaboration. It wasn't just me writing the entire script. I kind of like was texting him back and forth. What do you think would be, uh, good for this and kind of getting his thoughts and stuff well maybe so, yeah. let's let's um for listeners who might not know let's talk about the platform 10k competition like what sure. it entails yeah. and what the 10k is is ten thousand minutes that a team oh. has to create yeah, and submit. did you not know that yeah <laughs> that's what 10k is referring to which i think uh, is yeah 10 10k ten thousand minutes is 6.94 days so it's seven days okay. you get you have a week to create a comic and um you sign up before before it starts and then like the minute it starts everybody gets assigned a theme is it a theme or a topic or a motif or something that you have to uh, i think it it's was... a theme and a line of dialogue yes right yeah. you get a, a, a theme a for your work and one specific line that everybody has to include in their in their finished work At the end of seven days you have to have your thing uploaded uh, and then some judges come on read everybody's stuff decide what's the best and we've had a few winners on previous episodes of the podcast so if people are interested you can go back you can read all platform puts out a an anthology of like the the finalists of of each competition they put together like a top 10 or whatever and and decide one person who wins and they get some kind of awards some kind of recognition i think there's a monetary value associated with it i haven't won so i don't know for sure what it is <laughs> yeah i haven't won either fun fact the year that uh we did this story brandon tobin did win for, um I think he won the, if not the top prize, like one of the top two or three. But uh, I think yeah, I think I had that. the winners from 2021 and 2022 on the show. Okay. I don't think I did 2020. Maybe eventually I'll I'll rewind a little bit further and do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so for listeners, that's basically that's that's the summary of what the 10K competition is. So tying that back into your work, Matt, do you remember? This was a long time ago. Do you remember what the theme and what the line of dialogue was? The theme was finding a million dollars. And uh, the line I was obligated to put in the comic was something about being in quarantine, something like that. I can't remember. So I was obligated to put it in the comic, but I wasn't obligated to keep it in the comic after I put it out. So yeah, it, I, I removed it because it didn't really fit that well. I wasn't very graceful in how I inserted it in. I just did it because it had to go in there. So for the version that appears in Everyday Fears, it does not have that line of dialogue. Yeah, that, that's a fun option that you always have when you republish old work is to to tweak some dialogue that you maybe weren't you know super happy with. I've done it myself. I published my, my first book like individually as, as single issues. And then when it came time to put it all together, I brought it to Kickstarter, my first Kickstarter book, Hellcraft. I mm-hmm. I relettered the entire thing. I changed all the dialogue from, from the first three issues. Oh, really? Yeah. So that is, um, I don't know, something I like that you can do. That you can, yeah, totally. you can take that yeah, liberty and say, I don't like the way that I lettered or wrote this, or I didn't like this line. Let's just delete yeah. it. Yep, yep. But, I mean, with this one, the thing that we submitted was in black and white, and for this, like after the fact, I got colored, and then um, we just kind of did a very rudimentary lettering on it the first time around. So yeah, for this version, we got Lyndon to letter it. So I, I could see yeah. with a with a ten k ten minute ten thousand minute sort of. Um, restriction yeah. on you it would be pretty hard to to put something in of, of this quality with all the colors and all the pro lettering it's yeah it would be a bit of a struggle to get that done in time so black and white is it's a little bit of an easier sell it's still a struggle for anyone who you know might be thinking of signing up it's still it's still hard to put together a work 
a finished work of this quality in seven days, but it's it's less of a struggle if it's black and white, right? Totally, yeah. And and you're putting a lot of let's be honest, as writers, the oh, yeah. struggle on the artist, so you want to be a little, you know, not so demanding. A hundred percent. Yeah, it, it it's it's an artist struggle way 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 more than it's a writer struggle. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so to get into some specifics on Storage Crusades, um, there is absolutely one very specific line of dialogue, one panel that I wanted to ask you about, which is, uh, I'm not sure what page it's on. It might be page two, two or three. It's it's early in the comic. You have an insert shot. Before I get to that, why don't we go ahead, like we did with the last one, why don't you go ahead and pitch what Storage Crusades is so listeners can kind of uh, be on board with what we're talking about. Sure. So Storage Crusades, uh, it's about a guy who's a first-time storage unit buyer, and he stumbles upon one locker he thinks is going to make him a million dollars because it's it, it has this old ancient statue in it, so he kind of, you know, it's old, so it must be worth a lot of money. Um, and then, you know, he finds out that it's a cursed object, and it's slowly corroding his soul. So he's he's got to desperately try and get rid of this thing before it completely, I don't know, eradicates him. And it is another delightful comic. It's, it's again, it's hitting that same sort of uh, mundane, but also supernatural horror tone, which, again, it's, it's something that I, I do want to get into with you, but... To continue my question, the very specific, specific question is early on when he's buying it, um, you have these insert shots. It's like he's the main character in this gym. It's like he's on a TV show, like one of these storage war kind of shows where where they talk to the camera. It's an insert shot, talking head thing. And in that, the panel before he's being heckled by another guy who's like, oh, I wanted that storage unit. You um, you bleep stained bleep rag. <laughs> <laughs> I want I wanted that unit. Then it cuts to this talking headshot of our main character, Jim, and he's saying, Ah oh, yes, Frank, my oldest rival in the storage bidding game. Well, meantime, at the bottom of it, it says Jim, first time bidder, as like the little caption at the bottom of the TV screen. So that just stuck out to me, that one line of like of inherent comedy of of this juxtaposition of this guy talking about his oldest rival while also being a first time. And you've kind of already answered it saying that he is indeed first time, but I wanted to maybe ask you about that, pitch that to you. Would you like to elaborate on that specific line of comedy? Yeah. I don't know. I I think, I mean, I took like 10 minutes answering the, asking the question. So you have to at least go in depth on some kind of answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's kind of the characters I, I really like to write kind of Bradley and ID Tentier, just these kind of idiots who are so sure of themselves and uh, just have a really high opinion of, of themselves, even though they're completely idiotic and don't know what they're talking about. It just slightly detached from the reality of the really, situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, more than slightly, completely, yeah, not yeah. in their own world. Uh, a diluted protagonist. I guess that can lead into a, a topic about these kinds of protagonists in these kinds of horror stories it's that I, I love these ironic twist ending kind of things. Uh, a lot of them have that trope of this very unlikable protagonist and then they get their you know well-earned comeuppance and, and it's a horrifying event, but the reader or watcher or listener, whatever medium, can feel kind of good about that, which I think mm-hmm. is an approach that you're going with here with Jim is that he is like absolutely a, a dickhead. <laughs> Can you talk about that trope? You're using it consciously, specifically, um, maybe other inspirations for that for you? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe not consciously. I, I don't know what my fascination. I think just like uh, growing up, so used to watching like The Simpsons and kind of growing up on like those characters of like Homer Simpson, I'm, I'm always just kind of 
channeling that type of character. Like Homer Simpson in the end is likable, but um, also like Malcolm in the Middle, like Brian Cranston, Al. And that show was kind oh, yeah. of my hero. Like I love him. Just the kind of lovable idiot. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess I yeah, just kind so of you're... wanted the opposite way of the hateable idiot. But um, yeah, I just kind of really like writing those characters. Well, there there fun. is an aspect of lovable to him because it is funny. He is, you know, comedic, which is a good trait to have. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, right, so there, there is an aspect of positive traits to him as well as you know being a you know a complete jackass yeah uh, another thing in storage wars is the item that this character finds is this cursed statue of of a demon or, or, or a devil he goes to an expert that tells him oh this is the statue of siphon the archduke of hell um, and mm-hmm. he elaborates on its backstory uh 10th or 11th century i think is, is the line of uh, of a cult called the order of the flea Yes. Could you maybe talk about what those mean, what those are, how you came up with those? Did you come up with those? Was that historical research? No, uh, definitely not. No, the Order, I think, yeah, the Order of the Flea, it just sounds cool. I, I, I think like in Hellboy, there's something called the Order of the Fly. Like it's kind of secret society within Hell. I think like all that kind of gets explored in Hellboy and Hell and that, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of switching out fly with flea. And um, Siphon, I think, because we based the kind of monster design of the demon that comes up at the end on a flea. So the, the flea has the little nose prick that can suck blood. So I thought Siphon just sounded like like a demon name. It does. It really yeah. does. The first time I read it. Yeah. And I am a little bit versed in, in occult stuff. Well, a little bit. Not, not super much. But it sounded totally plausible, totally passable to me. I feel good about myself. Yeah. So yeah, yeah this no, demon, it's, there's another passable. demon and uh, and another story in this book that is the uh, actual default, well, you know, actual deep from uh, a grimoire. But yeah, this one was made up. We will we will get to that in a little bit. Continuing on with Storage Crusades, you've just mentioned that Siphon at the end of this, there is a demon that is unleashed or, or revealed. And on that last page, when he does come out, it's got a big uh, floating crown above his head. Again, very hellboy I really love it. <laughs> but that crown has a tiny little angry face on the front of it. Was that something that you put in the script? I didn't even notice that. Um, no, that was that was all Octavio. I love it. It's it's in maybe like two panels in the thing, and it's just this little angry face on the crown that is just such a wonderful touch. I, I love um, tiny little yeah, art details like that that you might not notice if you're skimming by too quick. Totally, yeah. I didn't even notice it. I have to go back and have another look. Yeah, you're more attentive to, to my uh, works than I am. Well, that's, uh, well, yeah. That's surprising, but yeah, go go back and uh, take a take a look. It's it might make yeah, you laugh. It, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's like a nice touch of of horror comedy as well, because there is a horrific aspect to this face on this crown floating above this demon that is massacring people, and then yeah, it's just a goofy little face too. So it, it touches on the exact tone I think that you're after with all your work, or at least all your work in this anthology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So moving on from Storage Crusades. The next one in this is a little short called Neighbors, which you did with an artist named John Berg. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you like to introduce Neighbors, maybe tell a little bit of what it's about, and also simultaneously talk about how it came into being, how you met up with John, what this was originally for before it was repackaged into your current anthology? Sure. So this was for an anthology called Called Into Being. So it was a anthology zine that was done a few years ago i think 2019 2018 right before the pandemic it was um the 200th anniversary of mary shelley writing frankenstein so it's kind of a a celebration of that um i just saw the the call for entries and 
Yeah, I just wanted to again. My my, my mind goes to, to the the funny stuff, so I just kind of want to think of like, you know, what's a cool kind of funny idea I could do for this? And yeah, it got accepted. And and again, this was another instance where I got paired with the artist, so I was paired with John. So um, it was <laughs> to cut you off. Sorry, but yeah. but I do want to ask: Was this specifically just a Frankenstein anthology, and it wasn't full of other comedy comics like this? Yours was just comedy that wasn't part of necessarily the rules or guidelines for the anthology. Yeah, it was, it was, I think the rules and guidelines were, it was all about Frankenstein. So it could be like a comic about, I don't know, an alternative take on Frankenstein. It could be like a, it wasn't all just comics. A bunch of them were essays as well, like written essays. So a bunch of people kind of written like, you know, their personal relationship with Frankenstein and how it informed them as artists or Frankenstein, the book, not, yeah. The, yeah, the, book. the creature or, yeah. or the creature too. Or the, or the, <laughs> I hope they don't have personal um, relationships. Yeah, but um, so you were paired with John. Actually, would you? Uh, how does how does Neighbors tie into Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? What is the what is the link between your comic and the original text? Sure. So Neighbors is about the creation of the monster from the perspective of Frankenstein's downstairs kind of nosy neighbor. That was this kind of premise that I pitched, and again, just like practice say text, like. You start off with that kind of that premise and then the story goes, you know, gag, 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 and then punchline at the end. Kind of a very similar structure to... Yeah, similar structure, similar formula, but if it ain't yeah. broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it totally works. So far. Uh, would you talk about working with John on this work? Sure. Um, I mean, with these anthologies that I kind of did earlier on in my comics career was a lot different than my self-publishing stuff. So I didn't really work with them at all, really. Uh, I submitted the script and then the editor kind of worked with her a little bit on it and then she gave it to John and then she kind of worked on the script with John. So, so I was a really little care. back and forth between you and John yourselves. Yeah, like no back and forth. Yeah, I, I kind of met him years later at a con and we kind of introduced ourselves through there. But uh, yeah, it's just I submitted a script and then months later I got this uh, really awesome comic I got to read. It is really awesome. So I guess that is kind of the sad reality, or I guess maybe for some people they might see it as as a happy reality. But in terms of working in comics, sometimes you don't get to have you know a personal relationship with some of the people that you're collaborating with or, or working with on a book. Personally, I, I I love the collaborative aspect. I love to pass work back and forth between myself and another co-creator. I think a lot of people feel that same way as well. But as you mentioned, sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah, and I don't know. There's, a, I guess, a kind of simplicity to that as well. I mean, it works when you we, we get paired up with really amazing artists, and they kind of just take what you do and hit it out of the park. So yeah, from that perspective, and get yeah. to elevate your work. That that's that's a lovely feeling when you just hand it off to someone who's incredibly talented, and you just get it back, and you go, "I I didn't need to do anything. This guy did all the heavy lifting." Yeah, but and, and I guess. To kind of go back, I've talked with John a little bit over the years, um, and for this anthology, he's going to go back and color the original story. So we'll kind of collaborate a little bit there. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, the the yeah. version that I read in the PDF was black and white, and it did look really, really good in black and white. I I love black and white for horror. Mm-hmm. You know, for for comedy, maybe you want to lighten it up a little bit. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I, I just wanted to say it, it looked really great, and I expect it will look even better. Totally, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it looks great in black and white too. I guess I just you know all the other stories are in color in this anthology, so I kind of wanted them to kind of you, you want to be together. I guess, yeah, visually. So neighbors was. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about John Berg. Uh, was it lettered as well by John? Because 
reading that, mm-hmm. I specifically very much loved the sound effects that were included. I, I think um, if it was John, indeed, I think he did an amazing job lettering the sound effects specifically. Yeah, it, yeah, it was all John who did the lettering and sound effects. I can't remember who did like the sound effects, like the writing, but it could very well have been him. Yeah, I don't remember. Some of them do feel like they would have been part of the script because there is interaction. Yeah, they, yeah. they look they look really really well done. Yeah. Uh, another another very specific question I had about neighbors was on uh, page four, as you mentioned. This is a Frankenstein book uh, about someone who lives downstairs from Frankenstein, and um, you start to hear some of the original dialogue, some of the original text from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein included in your work. Uh, would you maybe talk about how you picked out specific quotes, why you used certain bits of text? Uh, what was that process like for you? I think I was just looking for some stuff that would kind of fit like the joke that I wanted to tell or looking for weird stuff that he could say that would weird out his neighbor a little bit. Well, yeah, the original text I definitely think is full of <laughs> a lot of weird stuff yeah. that would weird out a neighbor. Yeah, so it's a good it was... premise, like it fits. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I can't remember that that well. While I was writing this story, I think 2018, um, we were trying to like think up of names for for my son, who was, you know, my, my partner was pregnant at the time. And while I was writing this, while we were trying to think up names, and, you know, Victor kind of stuck with me. So I kind of pitched that to my partner, and she liked it. So we ended up naming my son Victor in the end. So this story kind of has a sentimental attachment to it. As so well. you are a, a true Frankenstein fan. Totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Have you told your son what he was named after? <laughs> uh, no, he, he or probably in part. I know yeah. a lot goes into a name. Like, yeah, when maybe when he's older. Right now, he'd just be like, huh? "What?" Yeah, <laughs> not gonna really, not gonna register with him. Yeah, not I gonna guess. have the same impact. I guess I so, guess. but that's something for him to look forward to eventually. Totally. Yeah. yeah, let me know how that goes one one day, <laughs> years down yeah. the road. Yeah, we'll I finally phone. told him, and this is how it went. We'll put you on the show again yeah. for that. Whatever, dude. <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to those stages. Yeah. Uh, so the fourth book in this anthology that I've read, mm-hmm. and little inside information for the, for the listeners, I've read the first four of the six stories that are included in the anthology. So we're going to get to five and six in a little bit, even though I haven't read them. But we're going to talk about number four, the last one that I have read, which is a little piece called Roommates, written obviously by Matt McGrath, with art by Shen Travis. So, Matt, would you talk about how Roommates came into being? What is it about? What is the inspiration? When did it happen? Uh, give me a give me a full rundown on all that. Sure. Um, pretty much the same story as with Practice Safe Hex and Neighbors. I was very much on the lookout for anthologies at this time, anything that I could pitch to. So I saw this one. It's called The Original Anthology Was Caged in Flesh and something else it was like a double-sided anthology so like one side was all stories about um to kind of take it back it's a it was an anthology based on dr jekyll and mr hyde so one side was all dr jekyll another side was all mr hyde so i had a mr hyde story that i pitched and again kind of went for the comedy aspect of it with the whole mr hyde dr jekyll dynamic and yeah got accepted into the pitch they really liked it and again just was uh the, the artist was uh, given to me again like no interaction at all with shen on this um i just wrote the script kind of worked with the editor a little bit gave it all to them and then they worked with the artist and then again like a couple months later saw a really cool comic that had the words that i written on the page and yeah that's kind of all there is to it yeah, so a very similar process to neighbors totally. and mm-hmm. 
you know, pretty similar process to always practice safe hex as well. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about with roommates was the colors. I assume the colors were also done by Shen Travis as well, right? Yes. Yeah. They stand out really, really well. Maybe it's because I come from a, a black and white comic reading directly into that, but I think I think they would stand out either way. The comic is full of this like purple and green tones that I, I'm personally sucker for. I think it's a great pairing. Um, <laughs> there's something uh, I guess I guess it comes from like all the superhero stuff where like purple and green are like the colors on all the villains because red and blue are on all the heroes. But yeah. was that part of what you wrote? Did you write colors into your script? No. No, yeah, no, uh, that was all Shen. Yeah, all I was Shen. thinking too, as like you mentioned, the colors. Yeah, it's that kind of very Marvel sixties kind of archetype of Green Goblin, the Hulk, like all the monster bad guys are purple and, and green. And um, but yeah, no, I had no contribution to that. It was that was all Shen. Yeah, okay. it looks well, gorgeous. They shine. Yeah, the colors are great. Um, yeah. Would you discuss? Have you? you know, written colors, when do you do that as a writer? What calls for deciding to write a color versus just leaving it to the colorist to just fill in? Like, when is it specifically required for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to think back uh, to, like, everything that I've written. I guess the only time that I've really thought about colors is kind of this project that I'm working on right now. It's still going to be, like, a few years off before it ever materializes but i'm working on a graphic novel kind of based off of the films of georges melier so with that i was really kind of conscious about the colors because i don't know if you're familiar with georges melier like his most famous film was a trip to the moon mm-hmm. um if, even if you don't know it you you know that the image of the, the you know, shuttle the rocket the landing shot. in the moon's eye yeah yeah so with with that film there was a version of it where it was in color and at that time the way they colored film was they literally colored the film like painstakingly each frame of film was was colored in so yeah i kind of wanted to replicate that again with this comic so so i think yeah i think that's like the only time i've really kind of mentioned colors within my comic otherwise i just kind of leave that up to the colorist or the artist yeah yeah it's not always my strong suit but you know when i when i see it i know when when it looks good when i like with K. Baird, um, who did the colors on Ivy Tenty Air, like they really stand out and they really inform the story as well. My secret is I just pick out people who are really talented and know what they're doing. That's that's a very Results good secret. In- that, that that's the key trick is just pick collaborators that you are really confident in and let them do their thing. You know, don't yeah. don't try to micromanage people too much. Absolutely, yeah. It's always always results in the best stuff. So to tie all of like, these things back that we've been talking about, all these all these comics, always practice safe hacks, storage crusades, neighbors, roommates, and the two that we haven't gotten to yet, uh, mm-hmm. to tie them all into this anthology that does have this overarching theme, which is sort of coincidental that you submit these things to all these different anthologies and then they all fit so cohesively together because they do, uh, is that they're all tied under this, as the anthology is called, everyday fear. It's very like mundane slice of life comedy horror supernatural would you talk about the the unification of all these things why did you write everything in the same genre even though they were written for separate things and uh how how fortunate were you that they all just like tie in together and you can put this out as one anthology and it all works so well yeah it was just kind of dumb luck i guess that it worked out that way definitely was not at all conscious and it wasn't until like years later like this year really that i kind of looked back on everything and i was like oh this all kind of fits together thematically so i think that's where the 
the idea of putting it all together into a, an anthology that yeah. I put out kind of started to form. Why um, is yeah. this your niche, Matt? Why are you the way that you are? I don't know. Why, don't why know. is it? Why is it everyday horror that you uh, that you are so in, attracted to writing? Uh, I don't know. I got two kids, two cats, a dog. It kind of <laughs> the horror every day in my house. So the horror of real life, which also yeah. does tie into you know your other comic ID Ten T Error. Which mm-hmm. Maybe uh, just met, reference how that kind of ties into the same theme that just seems sure. so I, consistent across your career at this point. Totally. Yeah. I guess maybe you know training or a robot that you know tries to escape you um, isn't necessarily an everyday fear but um it's definitely like a, a horror comedy with like I, like I talked about before with the um storage crusade like the very over-the-top idiotic character who's completely detached with reality yeah i don't know i just kind of like writing funny stuff like how they, uh, maybe one day i'll kind of you know get the guts and try and write something a lot more dramatic and i don't know serious i guess but um not quite there yet i got too many i'll get there eventually seriousness is overrated the comedy works really well for you uh you're good at it so so it works appreciate that would you tell me a little bit about the two comics that you know are part of this anthology but are not part of the pdf that i read that are not done yet until Hmm. until when tell me when they'll be done tell me uh a little bit about what they are who's working on them what they're called so the two that that are in the process of being made were, were pitches I had for anthologies that didn't get accepted, but I really liked these two ideas, so I didn't want to let them go. So they kind of percolated in the back of my brain for several years, and it wasn't until this year that I kind of decided that I was going to sit down and write it when, when I kind of had the idea for doing this anthology. So one of them is about a young woman, young teenage girl, who, who summoned a demon in her room, and the one request that she has of this demon is to just hang out for a little bit so yeah i I guess i don't want to really spoil it from there but again it's kind of a two-hander between this girl and the demon kind of having a you know real life talk with with each other and kind of getting to know each other and coming to terms with um with their relationship and And who's the artist on on that one oh yes the artist is v gagnon so i worked with them before on uh uh, another anthology called Gothic Tales of Haunted Futures. Uh, and they actually have a Kickstarter running right now that, that like knocked it out of the park. They, I think they funded it one day and um, I don't have the, the name right now, but it's uh, like a history of Roman, the Roman Empire, like set in space and so it looks awesome. But um, Well, your so, yeah. current Kickstarter was also funded in one day, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yesterday oh. that it just went live, yeah. it just got funded. Yes. Absolutely. So people listening to the podcast should go check and see if I'm actually right about that prediction. Yes, I have no doubt you're right about that. Please. I hope so. Yes. Uh, tell me about the the last um, the last short story in your anthology. The last one is called The Lanky Man, and it's uh, if you've ever ever watched Marble Hornets, um, the kind of uh, yep, yeah, you know horror fans know. That's oh, kind I'm of a huge a, fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm great. a huge fan it's, of the first half of it before it <laughs> goes off the rails. Yeah. 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 We all are. It's still good. But um, yeah, it's kind of a parody of that. So two kids are making a movie and they kind of notice this like mysterious entity following their every move. So they kind of have to investigate like what this thing is. And yeah, again, don't want to spoil anything, but the everyday fears, the kind of mundane aspect of it kind of tie, ties in from there. So, so yeah, they're all on brand entity. for you. They're all on theme. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And all these shorts that we've talked about are all in this anthology we've been talking about, Everyday Fear, which is 
live on Kickstarter at the time of this podcast and live until when's the last day? November 17th? Early November, mid-November. Mid-November. 2023. So if you're listening before that day, uh, please go check out that Kickstarter and uh, think about Mm -hmm. pledging a couple bucks to Matt for for this really cool book. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you scared. It's got some amazing artists all collaborating together on this. They alone are worth the price of admission. They truly are. There's no doubt. Before we go, real quick, I want to ask you, since I'm celebrating this Halloween Horror Month, Spooky October, Spooktober, what is your horror comic recommendation for listeners of the podcast? I have to say Silvercoin by Michael Walsh. Uh, yeah. Silvercoin was mentioned uh, by Derek Loffman on a previous episode. Oh, really? That was, yeah. that was his shout out, too. Okay, well, okay, I'm going to think of another one. It's okay. You can have the same one. It's okay. I'm going to think of another one. All right. Um, Okay, I'm going to go with another Canadian and say Jeff Lemire, um, Gideon Falls. Basically, any of Jeff Lemire's horror comics is really good. Gideon Falls is amazing, though, yeah. Specifically, is really amazing. The art in it is amazing. The story is great. Yeah, I think Jeff Lemire is like is at his best when he's when he's doing horror. So if you haven't, I definitely recommend checking out uh, Gideon Absolutely. Falls. And Another so recommendation I totally second. Yep. Yeah, this podcast is a big fan of, of Lemire's work and a big fan of Gideon Falls. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Got Matt, for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join me on this podcast. And uh, I wish you all the best with all your Kickstarter Thanks. stuff and all the comics that you have in your future. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Like. Again, I was flattered to be asked to be on. So this is a great conversation. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great talking to you. You too. Thank you again to Matt for joining me for this conversation. If listeners want to check out the Kickstarter campaign for Everyday Fear, and I strongly urge that you do, you can find the link down in the episode description. If you're listening to this in the future, that link should hopefully still take you to where you can get the book. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music, and Patrick Hart for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Creators on Comics Podcast. <laughs>